The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Oh my god, can somebody send him a copy of Dirty Dancing? (laughs) Nobody puts Māori in the corner. (laughs) Tēnākoutou katoa, this is gone by lunch time. (laughs) On Wednesday the 7th of February. I'm here today with Annabelle Lee Matha, Kiara, Ben Thomas, Kiara. Kiara Butler is making the magic happen. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you coming to our live live show? Are I'll be you doing that. Yeah, I, I um, wouldn't miss it. Um, since I mention it, that's um, just spontaneously. That's on uh, February the fifteenth. There aren't very many tickets left. I checked. So really? if you would like to come to see Gone by Lunchtime live, are we going to comp Ti here? Yeah, well, I think he might. Like won't he be, I'm assuming he'll be. I assume he'll be. You know, doing the effects and stuff. Yeah, I've I've, I've got a block of about nine seats booked out for just me <laughs> in the middle of the seating. Your entourage, <laughs> me and my my mates, these cameras in okay. the studio. Cameras. Yeah, so I can film you guys while you're. Did we sign anything about cameras? I don't know. Oh, you'll need to talk to my agent about yeah, that. Ti here. And about people might have something to say mm. about that. Um, Today we're going to talk a bit about Waitangi and what happened there and then we'll talk a bit about the Casey Costello um, business and about the green leadership. Let's start in Waitangi. You were there, Annabelle. I was. Tell me about it. It looked pretty amazing. It was amazing. Um, A massive turnout, Um, a very uh, positive overall vibe despite the obviously controversial lead-up that had prompted people to come. Mm. Um, I think Ngāpuhi did an incredible job of hosting and, you know, managing what was shaping up to be a really tense Waitangi. And when you look at um, things that have happened at Waitangi in the past, I mean, Stephen Joyce always being a standout example for me, I think um, that it was... uh, really, really um, well-managed by both the Ngāpuhi and the people who attended. Obviously, there were some strong emotions, but, you know, no, nothing got physical or mm. violent mm. or over the top. So I thought it was um, a, a, a really great, wonderful event. It um, This year they staggered out the welcomes, so the opposition had their own poor and then there was a Kingi Tanga one that Te Māori went along to and then 
on on the 5th, which is the traditional day, it was the parties of government that attended. Mm. And as you say, the, the protest didn't, it was, it was, I mean, it was, the protest took the form of a wero and, and waiata over some speeches, which in the scheme of things seems pretty healthy way of expressing different opinions. Um, it, it was interesting to watch um, uh, Winston Peters spoke and said, I've got places to be. Mm. <laughs> I've got more important people to talk to. Was very brief and then uh, said, who's who's saying that we're getting want to get rid of the treaty? We don't. And um, denounced hysteria and nonsense and said, listen, sunshine, when you were knee-high to a grass, grasshopper, blah, blah, blah. That was quite um, Winston. David Seymour was um, uh, quite more combative. Mm. He said... He took on, I think it was Penny Henadier who used some oratory involving spiders and so on. Was it spiders? It was, it was, well, yeah. Kelvin said the Pakeha spiders are coming. It was, a, it was a Kelvin Davis. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and he said, <clears throat> not even Donald Trump would stoop to calling people insects. And I thought, I think he would. I think that is. I feel like he's going to take know. that as a personal <laughs> challenge. And I also <laughs> thought um, David Seymour, who fronted up, good on him. I think in terms of taking people on and use of imagery, the guy who used imagery to suggest <laughs> blowing up the Ministry of Pacific Peoples <laughs> perhaps isn't in the strongest position <laughs> to talk. But David Seymour was right in that. Like he really, he really did turn up. He, he really did down. engage in the in the debate. Mm -hmm. He 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 threw down the uh, lots of metaphorical grenades, mm -hmm. um, and then and then uh, and then it got a bit rowdy, and there were some warnings that the prime minister might not speak. And mm. eventually, he was he was brought up to the balcony. He delivered us, but they pulled the string. It <laughs> did, and at one point too, um, you know, because the crowd was starting to like jeer a bit, and um, the Hokainga got up and said, mm. "Hey." We, this is our manuhiri, we mm. have invited him here and we want to hear what he's got to say. So they literally interjected to call for, you know, silence. And what he what he had, had, did have to say was the same speech. Yeah, and then, the and then they started jeering up again. Um, <laughs> but I thought, yeah, I just think Apuhi did such a good yeah. job of hosting. I, yeah, look, I, I think that's right. The, it, it seemed like especially given the circumstances, I, I think it really hit that balance between sort of, you know, a respectful kind of commemoration mm. and, you know, fiery political debate um, without the sort of, you know, the nonsense of sort of, you know, jostling and pushing and shoving at the lower mid-eye and, um, you know, things that we've seen in the past. Um, you know, I think... It also didn't... I mean, uh, um, I was talking to... visuals talking from to great showman. Chapman, who was, who was there for the spin-off, the, the editor of the site, and she said it wasn't as though there was this massive security presence or anything. And so that was, that, was that your There wasn't. There, there was, like, police here and stuff, but they were really low-key. And honestly, I didn't see... Did they have their water bag backpacks on? They yeah, had, yeah. They had that, like, trackies <laughs> on. Yeah, like that's And, like, crowd a polo is shirt, casual undercovers. vibes and <laughs> sort of, you're a bit like, of a oh, pico just, and stuff. Yeah. Just, just some single late 30s tourists... <laughs> <laughs> who have come by themselves to Waitangi to yeah. <laughs> wide shouldered chaps wearing yeah. casual polo shirts and, and, and cargo just shorts for the yeah. ordinary yeah. public holiday <laughs> like, stuff. Yeah. But you know the other the other reason I really admire how it was managed too is because you know the pai pai and Tao Maori the 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 name that or the metaphor that we use for the pai pai is Te Umu 
puka puka a tu, the fiery ovens of tu mātauenga. That is the god of war's space. Mm. And if you're going to stand up there, you know, be prepared to be cooked. And so you have to honour that tradition as well. You know, you have to make it a genuine place of debate. You can't sanitise it so that it feels safe and comfy for your mm. manuhiri who are coming. And, you know, people have been calling for a debate and that's a great place to do it. So I thought they struck the balance really well of making it accessible um, to for all of the politicians who wanted to speak while at the same time honouring the tradition that when you get up on the paipai, you know, it's a fiery place. It's mm. not where you just sit there and, like, sing kumbaya together. So I thought, again, they did a great job. Uh, e mihiana, e When Christopher Luxon went up, Ben, it was, it was Luxon GPT. There was a lot of outcomes and mojo up there. And we talked about this in the, in the last podcast. I mean, that very likely is the strategy, just not to make you speak about the cauldron um, bells, but this is, you know, he's just really not trying to be an exciting soup. It's like, it's very, uh, don't frighten anybody, don't add any, don't add any gunpowder. He's to the going mix. for marshmallow, not rotisserie chicken <laughs> on the umu puka puka atu. Just, a, just, a, yeah. just a quiet little, finish the night with a little marshmallow. Um, is that the plan, Ben? I, Honi Hariweta was interesting before speaking. Um, Ahead of Luxon, he said, "You've got two options, Mr. So, Prime Minister." Sword to new heights of oratory as his honours <laughs> <Hane is> want. <laughs> it's about flushing, flushing um, things down the toilet. But he also he also said quite right. He said, "You've got two options here, Mr. Prime Minister. You can either uh, go out and say and denounce the the Treaty Principles Bill or the, the demands of your of your coalition partners, or you can just ignore them and pretend it's not there." And he very much went for the latter, didn't he? I mean, he he didn't get into it. Was that the best option? Do you think, Ben, or do you think that there was some way in which he might have taken the opportunity to make it clear in that environment, in that context, at Waitangi, that the Treaty Principles Bill, which is the the main controversial core of all of this, is not going further. Well, yeah. I mean, let's 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 put a pin in that and say it's the main controversial thing for now. Um, but what do you mean by that? Do you think there's more uh, controversial well, things to come? Was, yeah, look, New Zealand first have already been trying to nudge that off stage and say, look, look at our own review of the Waitangi Tribunal. Forget about the treaty principles bill; it's not going anywhere. Mm. You know, think about old Matua Shane <laughs> reviewing the Waitangi Tribunal and getting into the principles of the treaty. Uh, you know, the, princi- the the treaty clauses and legislation. So you know, there is a there is this kind of jostling on the you know the t- between the two coalition partners for national for both of them to be seen to be delivering to their constituents yeah. where there's a lot of overlap on treaty issues that they're going to sort of uh you know they're going to take action against what i think did new zealand first call it the moldification of new zealand or something or was that no Hobson's that Pledge. sounds like a dumb brash sort of thing yeah. yeah um so well, they all come together eventually. Yeah. So, so, so once once the treaty breaks. principles bill is done, that's not the end of it, right? But that is the that's the big issue for now, and that's the flashpoint, um, which I think you know act. You know, if you wanted to congratulate them for that, I guess you would. <laughs> you would congratulate them for getting that on the agenda after it sort of it seemed to have dropped off a bit in favour of New Zealand First's kind of you know English First and whatever policies before mm. the election in terms of this head-to-head contest between the two coalition partners to see who's sort of you know bashing Māori the most. Um, 
Yeah, and and in between that, you know, this is the sort of what is it, Cherubdison Skiller that uh, that Luxon is is navigating his Air New Zealand plane between, huh. um, you know, the the whirlpool and the sea monster or whatever, um, where he he's he's got to try and sort of bring down the temperature with that caveat that he can't can't come out and directly say we're going to kill the bell. The treaty principles bell. He could get inches closer. He's getting. He's getting. It's it's this asymptotic relationship where he's getting basically to within. I think he said this morning. I think he said, and I I, I could be correct. I think he said, and it will not progress further. You know, the the language is getting, or it's, or it's. I get maybe it was more subtle than that, and the 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 the, and not to progress. It's that it's very subtle, but he wants us to hear quite clearly. He wants the inference. Yeah, he is seeking the inference. Oh, that's as far as it goes. Yeah, that's right. And because he couldn't can't couldn't give that concrete, absolute what Hone Harawera was demanding, what a lot of people were demanding, I'm gonna kill the bill. David Seymour, I'm gonna rip the bill up in front of you when you bring it to me on the ninth floor. Because he couldn't say that on this at the speech yesterday, you know, the strategy instead is well, I think I think there's there were two two possible and interlinked ones. Uh first of all, you got a big audience, all of this is being recorded, all of this is being broadcast. You're talking to your major voters, your main voters, and you're sort of talking about the economy and your plan for growth and your plan for jobs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the second thing is, yeah, to just go back to those, uh, you know, those those kind of key issues that he has in terms of the relationship with Māori, which is, you know, frontline service provision, um, you know, improving mm-hmm. delivery of services by enlisting iwi and Māori service providers and not kind of going beyond that remit, um, not kind of pushing the boat out. So, yeah, keeping to the core messages and staying boring. Annabelle, um, do, and you think, think, do you think that works? Do you think that uh, Christopher Luxon can allow for the two coalition partners, the two other heads of the three-headed Taniwhara, as someone put it, to take the heat while he just kind of sticks consistent, I mean, you know, full marks for consistency, right? Like they're literally <laughs> the same words, but, you know, that's not stupid. That's a that's that's talking, you know, say the same thing, hold the line, and then emerge the other side. Um, well, when um, Annette Sykes uh, stood on the Pai Pai, her challenge to, um, to Luxon was, you know, that basically Māori are wondering why we're just seeing the the tail wag the dog, um, and sh- you know we want to hear how the dog barks and how the dog moves. I think w- w- was the way she put it. Um, I think the issue that Luxon has is obviously he can't completely dis the proposals that are being put forward by um, by Winston and Seymour. I get that. But the problem is that the subject matter that he chose to speak to at, at Waitangi also rang quite hollow. So one of the mm. key themes of his speech was about um, truancy and education. Mm. And, you know, we want to improve Māori truancy rates. You've got to get your kids to school kind of thing. And I think for people who understand truancy and the needs of Māori children and education, it's it rings very thin and hollow like he hasn't done his homework before he came to Waitangi because we know that truancy rates are related to um, access to food, um, health, 
housing, security of housing, all of those things, and those things were kind of not really addressed. So I think it, it yes, he's trying to navigate, but you also need to look like you're boned up on what the what the real issues are. Um, otherwise, it, you give the impression of being kind of very fresh, very green, and not really able to participate meaningfully in that sort of forum. You know, the fact that he wasn't able to pick up on some of the challenges that were laid down or hmm. weave in anybody. The thing with Luxon is he's a managerial prime minister. That's his background, right? You know, he's a CEO dude. He's not a charismatic leader. And so forums like that really highlight that fact. So I don't think Ma it, it will have a massive impact on Māori's opinion on him one way or another. I think the overall sort of um, perception is that the tail continues to wag the dog and when the, the dog barks, it doesn't bark very loud. And I guess well, I mean, there the, is. the thing is it's not so much the, the tail wagging the dog as with the Treaty Principles Bill, the dog has accidentally eaten a poisonous bug or something. <laughs> And it's got to vomit it out over the next year or so, right? Which the, but the tail put the bug in the mouth. I mean, the... Was the bug on the tail? The bug was on the tail. The and tail. then the tail flicked around and put the bug, I mean... But, but it's, you know, in, in this scenario, you know, the review of treaty clauses from New Zealand first is sort of a mild case of ringworm, you know, like the dog has some problems. That it's well, the dog's got two tails for a start, yeah. which is not normal. I mean, fine, it's fine, it's good. It's good to have two yeah. tails or tails for... But, I, yeah, I, we, with uh, Luxon's repeated speech, I mean, the, the thing is... <laughs> I mean, who among us? Who among us has not opened up the Word document for the previous press release or the previous <laughs> speech or whatever, and just being like, oh, "I'll just work off it," you know? And um, you know, I, th I think he he was both being on, you know, he was both. I think everyone was correct, right? I think Luxon is right that you know the reason that was there uh, is because he does want consistency of messaging. If you if you come up with a good formulation of you know your kind of little patter about how New Zealand formed as a nation or whatever or the background, you don't need to change it that much. You'll either leave it as a placeholder to just sort of say, oh, we'll do some same thing there, mm. or you just leave it the same. But I think his critics are right that he probably didn't expect that people would notice it was exactly no, the same. I think, right? I think, I think too, there to might be, be a speechwriter who's a speechwriter who's feeling, uh, uh, you know, exactly. a, a, a little bit jelly that they may but, have. But, I think, but all of I us. think too that like he he actually has been really badly let down by his speechwriter because all you'd have to say is. This time last year, I stood on this spot yeah, and I and said, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I think that's what Jacinda did a lot, didn't she? And I'm here to say... quote. You know, just need to proper citation on your own speech. I mean, she said about things she had never said before. She'd be like, I've been perfectly clear. But the other thing is she did stand up there in the first year she was there of Prime Minister, if I recall correctly, and say, judge me on my action. You know, she was you know, she was kind of almost the other end of the spectrum in terms of putting down the big rhetorical flourishes and also creating mm. tests that she would be judged by in the future and whether or not she passed them is, is up for debate. But the yeah. interesting Luxon thing is, is that taking a different course and they, being... They take, they're taking two very different rhetorical stances. In practice, not actually that different, right? Which is that both of them are leaders who have, I think, a strong personal conviction that the treaty has to be honoured, uh, that uh, we need to lift up 
you know, the prospects and the outcomes for Māori across the country. That's the most pressing issue in terms of our social indicators. Neither of them are particularly like intellectually rigorous in their understanding of the history or the or, 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 or the actual meaning of the treaty. You know, I mean, I think Ardern the same day that she's you know stood up and said, you know, this is you know let me be judged by my actions or whatever. Mikey Sherman asked her what the articles of the treaty were, and she didn't know. You know, so I mean, <laughs> I mean she stumbled stumbled on one of them. Yeah, so but, but I, I, yeah. I, you know. Both of them are very pragmatic, pragmatic politicians in this. Key was the same as well. They're not treaty scholars. They're not going to engage with you on the Matiki Mai report. They're not going. They would. Mm. They will look at you blankly if you talk to them about the relational sphere. Um, but they do want to, you know, get better outcomes. It's just that Luxon is a lot more sort of. I was going to say straightforward in his language, but then I remembered him saying aerating the issues this morning. So um, it's a bit more prosaic. Well, managerial, yeah. Annabelle's right. Like it, yeah. it does, it is very, that Luxon speak, the, you know, the number of times the outcomes. Just to, just to finish it off, Annabelle, um, you were there. I was, came across the other day that it was 10 years since the Herald had its um, infamous uh, protest-free edition on Waitangi Day. Do you remember that? Which had that symbol on the front page. It was like, we will have no protests in our newspaper today because we will look at Waitangi as this, you know, nice day for a picnic That's or whatever. That's right, yeah. And it did strike me that given all of that and notwithstanding that many people quite understandably find some of the policies that are being put forward in the coalition agreement distasteful and threatening, it felt like a looking from distance, like a healthy Waitangi, like it is embedded in our politics and in our culture as part of the calendar. And it, is that fair? Do you feel that way too? I think so too. Yeah, it's part of the 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 DNA of our of our politics and of course of our nation as it should be. And the fact that it is a day of protest and debate shouldn't be something that we're scared of. It should be something that we embrace. And I think the message, you know, to Luxon's credit, the, the message is getting through, right? I saw Hane Harawera was on RNZ this morning saying, you know, Seymour's bill, Seymour's bill is dead. You know, we've got huh. we've got the undertaking that we needed, you know, because the, the hints and the got nudges. The undertaker. The, Christopher um, Luxon is David Seymour's legislative and, undertaker. And, and it seems that, you know, and, and so the people who have been, pro, been protesting, been taken to the streets, social media, um, you know, I, I, I think they will feel that they've gotten a result, you know, um, whether it's materially different from what it would have been without that. But there has been, you know, I think a lot of people have remarked on the sort of kotahitanga, the togetherness, mm. which I think has been a really positive thing for Tao Māori, you know, whatever the outcomes, mm. you know, in, in a short-term sense. So actually I think, it, you know, it is kind of, you know, flowering as something quite positive, you know, in all respects. And the thing too is it's not over because there's more hui to come. There's yeah. going to be one on the East Coast, one in Te Arua and one in, in Ngaitahu. So, um, yeah, it, this it, the resistance is gathering momentum and just because Luxon is saying that it won't get past the first reading, I think, you know, Māori remains sceptical and are still um, strategising about how to um, how to respond to mm. the mm. bill. Yeah, well, Which those, is wise, those, those, those select committee hearings are, are going to be fascinating. Mm. Chris Fluxion currently investigating whether he can do it under urgency and <laughs> just have, like, <laughs> roll it all through in 40 hours. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? 
Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let's, let's, um, let's talk about the Casey Costello uh, business. She the- was there. Was she? She was there. Yeah. Oh, she was there. She was. She. She was. In, she joined the Wire after Nicole McKee spoke. Didn't she, she did. She yeah. joined, which I thought was interesting because she doesn't believe in the treaty, does she? Well, I think you still do Wire No, I just thought it was interesting that she came to Waitangi, given that oh. she, you know, like it's really not her cope up. Like she's. Well, no, she's. She's actually on the act page of the. You know, it's all about. Because the was it the Little Wood Treaty, the secret treaty that they found in a Monaco garage sale, that that says that the, actually the it's all we're actually, all together, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all together. Actually, we did an interview with Shane Jones, and he was talking about the Kohimarama Treaty as well. That's a separate one, though, isn't it? Yeah, like that wasn't that's not related to the. Everyone's bringing out their favourite, like old school. <laughs> I've got one too. Yeah, <laughs> publishing them in the newspaper. Didn't that that group um, published the the Apirangata? Assessment of the um, treaty, yes, and put in the put the wrong URL. <laughs> someone put someone they put their own URL incorrectly in all of New Zealand's just about all of New Zealand's metropolitan newspapers, and someone put in an explainer on the treaty in that URL. So that if you looked at it, um, uh, the one of the other things that Luxon probably didn't expect or anticipate or seek was for. Uh, dominant narrative after the coalition agreement was signed to be smoking in New Zealand. That probably wasn't another thing that when he was, you know, in his quiet hours leafing through his um, biographies of American presidents and other great leaders thinking, what I hope to do is to is to stand and give my own Gettysburg address about smoking. <laughs> that wasn't on the list. <laughs> that wasn't on the list. And yet uh, the winding back of some of the smoke-free provisions um, – a bunch of other things, some of which are trivial and not important, but kind of taken together um, in terms of attendance of lobbyists at um, signings and, and a bunch of other stuff have raised suspicions about questions about how whether or not the tobacco lobby is is exerting an influence on the government or more specifically its uh, it's a coalition partner. I was about to say treaty partner. There we go. Coalition partner, um, uh, New Zealand First. This is one of the reasons that the business around Casey Costello, the New Zealand First minister, new MP, new minister, aforementioned formerly Hobson's Pledge, um, has come under greater scrutiny, I think. Guy and Espiner has done reporting for RNZ uh, relating to her correspondence with Ministry of Health officials. She's an associate Minister of Health. With uh, responsibility for smoke-free. Well, yeah, 
for smoke free. Or smoke free. Smoke free. Or smoking. Or free, free. smokes. Free smokes. Depending <laughs> on who knows where this will end up. <laughs> who knows what, what, what post-it notes are attached to the vanilla folder. What about smokes being free? Remember when they were 10 cents ago? Now, uh, the uh, um, correct me if I've got this wrong, I think that what happened is originally she said, no, I did not ask for specific advice on whether or not the excise increase. At the moment, excise continues pegged to uh, inflation. Um, uh, so, so, so there have been a bunch of other ramping up of excise mm. on tobacco over the years because it's a pretty easy political winner. There, there were some very argument. high excise increases uh, initiated by the Māori Party, which were about 10% per year right. for about three three years and then another three years. Right. Um, so, so, so just let me finish this bit. So then, then um, uh, that that was included in a bunch of notes that went to the to the ministry, uh, and it was reported that she'd asked for advice on whether or not to halt the excise increase on tobacco. She said, "I did not ask for that. I did not ask for that specifically." Then it was um, revealed that there was written on the notes, <laughs> "Remove excise tax." She said, "I don't know who wrote that," and it transpired that it was just a bunch of documents that she'd handed over, uh, including New Zealand First uh, manifesto material. Um, and really she had just handed some materials across. Look bad. Ben, uh, I know that you will think that there is a good argument not to increase the exercise on tobacco. Um, that's sort of a separate issue, isn't it, sure. from the one here? Sure. Do you feel, feel that Casey Costello would be reprimanded or treated differently were she a National Party junior minister rather than one attached to the New Zealand First Party? I think with the, <laughs> the level of sort of... Uh, if she'd gone off her own bat as a National Minister of Health to ask for about changes in the excise tax and then handed over a mysterious uh, collation of texts, <laughs> authors unknown. <Scrolls>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, might be a, there might be a whole new Treaty of Waitangi in there too <laughs> that the Ministry of Health <laughs> officials are currently looking at. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, I, I think it's, you know, people were asking here in, in Parliament, you know, who was the author of this five-page <laughs> document of of potential tobacco policies and talking points. And she said, yeah, I don't know who the authors are. And it's like, well, you know, who wrote the Song of Solomon? <laughs> who wrote Who wrote the Book of Job? You know, so you know. So, so, was Homer a single author or when, a collector? Yeah, when you, when you look at the New Zealand First Manifesto, if it, if it can be compared to the Bible, and I think it can be, yes, you know, written approximately. Yes, yeah, so, some of it is first-hand accounts of people who have seen miracles performed <laughs> by Winston Peters. So, some of it is, you know, people who have talked to people who were at uh, remit meetings of the wider <laughs> party membership. Some is simply the product of divine revelation. <laughs> and and some, um, some are more, you know, in the nature of songs, poems, mm. impressions, uh. you know. And to, to sort of say, who, who wrote this? Who wrote this? Have these people never done university English? The author is Outrageously literal. Text comes from text. <laughs> Sometimes that text is on the British American Tobacco website. <laughs> but, but there are many different sources of text out there in the universe. So, I mean, yeah, look, if, if, of course, if she was a national minister, she'd be bare. She would, she would have been summoned to the ninth floor and she would have been absolutely bollocked. She, they wouldn't have sacked her this early, I don't think. Mm. But... 
normally there is, you said you said a bit of a pattern with new governments, which is normally they can kind of ride out these controversies because they've sort of your know, first blush kind of honeymoon year of popularity or something. Then somebody who's usually incompetent will mess up enough times or have some kind of attendance scandal, and that's within the first year. It'll usually happen six months to a year. And Richard Worth, Claire Curran, where the prime minister says not good enough, mm. I, I want higher standards for this government, they're gone. Mm. And then that gives you enough leeway to have ministers fucking up for the next two <laughs> years because you've showed how tough yeah. you are and what yeah. high standards well, are. Well, it sets it's an example, it yeah. lays down the law. But, yeah, re, you can't, yeah, very, very difficult to do with your coalition partners mm. because, I mean, look, you know, the Minister, of, <laughs> the Minister of Police can't even go out and say, no, we can't actually recruit 500 police in the next it's, two years. It's, it's not physically possible. The Chief of Staff will get on the phone and say, that's not the policy. Yeah. The but, laws yeah. of physics yeah. and nature and the economy be damned. No. The policy is yeah. two years. Yeah. And I guess that's also the danger of having someone who's never been in Parliament mm. at all so high on your party list because then, you know, there they expect that if there's a coalition that they're going to get a, a portfolio, but they literally have, you know, it's all brand spanking new to them. They, they haven't seen their mates getting, like, roasted. Um, and, and, you know, this is, this is normally the place where you'd say such a new minister would start looking to their more experienced, uh, you know, colleagues like Winston Peters or Shane Jones for some guidance on probity in the cabinet manual. Because <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about this, right, because, you know, there was this sort of this minor kerfuffle because it turns out uh, Luxon's uh, sister-in-law works for uh, BAT or Philip Morris, one of those ones. And he's declared that to the Cabinet Office because it is a potential conflict of interest, probably a pretty minor one, pretty easily managed, but the right thing to do is declare it. So he's done the right thing there. You know, <laughs> the people on the on social media outcry, they're like, this is terrible, this is awful. It's like, well, I, I guess, I guess you know, maybe so. Maybe he should step down and delegate all these decisions to his deputy, Winston Peters. <laughs> <laughs> and if Winston's out, he can give it to David Seymour, who's also supported the, the repeal of the smoke-free legislation. You know, I, think, I don't know who's next on the list, Chris Bishop. <laughs> like, so, um, you know, like, yeah. I, the, the thing, though, is I actually don't think Costello's done anything that warrants being being sacked or even... No, but she, no, but she would... She's caused I mean, a distraction. She, she, She's caused a political and this is problem. And this goes to the problem that Luxem faces, the problem of coalition government, perhaps, uh, Jacinda Ardern faced plenty of it too, Annabelle, in that he can't stand up at Waitangi and say, we're, this is only a nice thing for David Seymour to get the deal in. Obviously, we're not going to proceed with the bill. Don't be ridiculous. We're all cool. He can't say this. He can't haul Casey Costello into his office and say reprimand, say you need to apologise publicly, and then we'll move on. And that is a bind. That is a bind for... Uh, Prime Minister in any, uh, you know, multi-headed, multi-tailed, whatever it is. Do you think he ever on. gazes across the house at Martimer Davidson in the Greens and goes, maybe, maybe I should have <laughs> asked him, what would it have hurt if I'd said, here, have ministry for, you know, conservation, environment, yeah. carbon emissions. Yeah. You know, I could have done that. They're, oh. they're pretty cool. Yeah, if only they Maybe could they would have been a bit more chill. Pluck out particular MPs. They they probably would have. What if what if what if there was a future, you know, future co-leader of the Greens who had business experience, who 
knew, knew her way around a balance sheet. Uh, there yeah. we go. Had well, been an entrepreneur, that, the kind of um, person that Chris Luxon wants to see, mm. you know, drive New Zealand into the future. Yeah, been trying to scupper Chloe Swarbrick's campaign for the Green Leadership. <laughs> it was going fine until then. Um, that Let's get on to that. Um, James Shaw announced whenever it was a week ago or so that he would be leaving the leadership of the Green Party, the co-leadership, and then he's going to skedaddle out of Parliament too. He's got to, he's got a member's bill that he wants to get through, which is adding the right to a sustainable environment, I think, to the Bill of Rights Act. Yeah, something like that. Um, oh. which, would be, which sounds uh, fun. And uh, and then he's out, out the door. Um, and I think... With I a mean, beautiful <coughs> movie quote, eh? Oh yeah, we were talking what about that before be? we said What would be his goodbye quote? He, he, um, at the at the karakira on the morning of Waitangi Day, he at the last moment, inspired by some of the earlier uh, prayers that were read, uh, ripped up his notes <laughs> and went instead immediately to the IMDb page to find the quote <laughs> that he wanted from the notebook <laughs> and said, "This quote is about two people, but it could equally be about two peoples." And um, you know, he's sort of giddy with the dawn. Uh, the dawn aromas, he read out this quite lovely passage from the film The Notebook about <laughs> I, without you I am nothing. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of one of those amazing, amazing, amazing moments. Anyway, I love sadly, so, so sadly, much. <coughs> sadly that, um, that particular um, poet is, is departing. Departing, and he departs with a pretty impressive record, right? Like um, the Zero Carbon Act, uh, as it is now, is a is a you know a milestone bit of legislation in the New Zealand Parliament. Not perfect for sure, but his ability to get that through and to get support from the other side of the house. Todd Muller has um, written quite um, sweetly in, in praise of James Shaw. Mm. He wasn't always popular with elements within his own party. Um, he was often misrepresented as being this kind of. Um, you know, McKinsey-type guy, um, and while he does have a background that is different to some of the activist base, perhaps the differences are overdrawn, I think. Um, his his contribution, Annabelle, overall, James Shaw? Um, I, I really feel that he came into his own over the last year. Um, I thought he campaigned really, really well. Mm. Um, I think he's a, a big loss, and I think that if I was to choose a quote for him... Um, <laughs> when he leaves Parliament, it'd be the end of ghosts. Oh, yeah. And he'd look at Marama and he'd say, Marama, it's amazing. All the love, you take it with you. Kia ora. <laughs> I almost feel as though we should end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you can if you want. Well, let's. <laughs> ben. <laughs> yeah, look, J- James Shaw, um, very, you know, the most impactful green politician, probably. Um, oh, really? Bigger yeah, than Matidia? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, Matidia's big achievement was admitting to benefit fraud and oh being sacked. Oh, my God, you're so, a jerk. <laughs> to me, what what? a jerk. That is bullshit. <laughs> Into, no, that, that, no, that's... That's, 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 that's so that's, mean. That's unnecessary. Although, actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, I, I, um, when Matidia stood for the Green co-leadership, she actually faced a lot of the same issues that Shaw did. Because she was a former lawyer, as well as an anarchist and McGillicardy serious and, what was it, um, lesbian feminist witch or something. Like, but because she had been a corporate lawyer, no, this was a group that she was involved in. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's the exact name, but it was something along those lines. And 
Um, but because she'd been a corporate lawyer and because she wore a, a suit, mm. she actually got all this flack from the membership that, you know, she was the acceptable corporate face of the Greens versus Sue Bradford, who she was running against, who mm. was the real radical activist side of the Greens. Mm. So it is interesting how these things sort of morph over time mm. and kind of shift. And that, no, look, I'm sorry, I was, I was being flippant about Materia. She was, she, she was a very effective leader. Um, and I, she almost got it exactly right, actually, on that uh, that welfare speech. It was just when more details emerged it's, that she was it's, troubled. It's, but, it's forgotten that part, actually. I was thinking about that when, you know, to, to shift the conversation to the whatever the new letter will be. That moment, it's often forgotten that without that speech, Jacinda Ardern almost certainly, it was highly unlikely that yeah. Jacinda Ardern would have been the Prime Minister after the election in 2017 because the Greens rose up, which knocked knocked Little's Labour further down, mm. which took them to, you know, the mid-20s. Mm. I think they were as low as 24 in one of the internal polls. Um, and that was a consequence of Metiria today grabbing the public attention through putting herself out there in public and then and then and then and then it went the other way around and then she lost out but it does show the I think it does underscore the importance of leaders in these things mm. and and the the greens do you know people said oh sure helped increase their vote I don't think the data actually bears that out the thing is the greens the greens have a base of around five and then they go up and down between sort of five and I think sometimes they get as high as 13 and it's usually counter-cyclical to how Labour is doing at the time or with a few sort of variations, but normally weak Labour means strong Greens. Um, they have a real chance, I think, as a number of people have um, noted, including me in my column for stuff last week, that uh, the Greens have a huge opportunity, I think, to seize the momentum as the sort of true, you know, the leaders of the opposition, the unofficial leadership. Chloe Swarbrick has the kind of... And I don't want to say the appeal, but the the skill set, I think, to really kind of seize that um, in that she is, you know, a genuine sort of policy person. Mm. She's across policy, you know, from the Greens' own interests, you know, climate, uh, treaty, social issues, um, but also government fiscals, economics. She's very strong on that as well. Uh, climate, obviously. She is almost a sort of throwback to another era. She doesn't kind of talk in these sort of bullet point talking points. She's sort of articulate enough and believes in herself and probably the electorate enough that she actually tries to convince people in full sentences. Right, like that's adult. a very good point. It is seem it's kind of a bit of a sorry state that that should seem old-fashioned, but it does. Not that old-fashioned. It's sort yeah. of, you know, it's a, it's the kind of thing that, mm. that even a Tony Blair used to do. I mean, he had his talking points, but the idea was you go out there and you make a case. And I think that yeah. um, both for David Seymour and for Chloe Swarbrick, who became, in his case, the stated advocate of the end-of-life choice bill, choice bill, in her case became the, almost by default, the mm. de facto spokesperson for the cannabis <laughs> legalisation uh, referendum, that that's what you do in those circumstances. You can't just deliver talking points to try and get through to the next thing that are consistent with whatever your spin doctor has provided to you. You have to go out there and make a case, and she does that probably as well as or better than anybody else in Parliament in terms of going on. That's why she's very popular on TV too. You know, yeah, absolutely. She can, she can do it uh, snappily, articulately, but with a knowledge of the 
that part of it. So that on, for example, drug reform, she, if someone comes at her with a, with a talking point, she can unpick that mm. and like, oh, explain the it. Belgian study of whatever. Sure, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm. and yeah, and and I think that that makes her a much more attractive proposition for the media and the public in terms of leading the charge against the government. Um, you know, if you need quick quick reaction talking points, uh, you're probably better served going to a Chloe Swarbrick than a Chris Hipkins, for instance. You know, Chris Hipkins. Aside from parts of the Labour base, he didn't he didn't really excite anyone as Prime Minister or as uh, Labour Party leader until that last week of the campaign. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a real opportunity. On mm. the other hand, as devil's advocate here, because I've just been a big kind of Chloe uh, fanboy. You've been a Chloe fanboy for a long time, He's to be fair. a massive Chloe fanboy, this guy. But also let's, let's look at a different option, which is the Greens are conducting these under their new leadership rules, right? So previously the Greens had this sort of antediluvian, bigoted system where they would have <laughs> a male co-leader and a female co-leader, right? Yes. A regressive reactionary hierarchy. They changed those rules a little while ago to say that one of the two co-leaders, they would have two co-leaders, one co-leader had to have... Māori Whakapapa, and one co-leader had to be female, mm. right? Yeah. Now, Marama covers both of those uh, mm -hmm. boxes, so both of those criteria. So they have enormous... She's like, she's like when you win Lotto and the, the next bit, the strike. Yeah. Go on, who she, are you making a play for? So, so there's enormous flexibility. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got 11 words for you. Go. Ain't no rule that says a dog can't be co-leader. What dog? Well, like... Kind of the air bud stratagem, right? Oh you get like, oh it wouldn't God. it wouldn't be a kind of golden. Is this the two tailed dog? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a golden on? retriever that plays basketball, though. It'd probably is... be like a native bird, some kind of skink or gecko. This is turning into reality check radio. At look, this point. Fun, <laughs> look, okay. It would have to be the a kuri because that is River the to mountain range and uh, Mount Taranaki. All natural features that have legal personhood and could be Greens co-leader in a second if the Greens tried to approach them. Tohoi would never agree to it. <laughs> never. Well, what about a river? Why did you? Have to, why, what about a river? Yeah, Whanganui River. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I should just say to uh, catch people up who haven't been paying attention that uh, Chloe Swarbrick is the announced her candidacy for the Green co-leadership, which will be voted on by, I guess, delegates in, in, in March. I think the deadline is, I think, uh, mid-February. So there may be more. As best I'm aware, there have been no other nominations at this time. But there are some other people I, I don't I don't know that Julianne Gent has ruled out. Um, Tiano... Tiono is another possibility. He's um, so 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 it's not a done it's not a done deal. Um, but what do you think, Annabelle, in terms of the potential for Chloe Swarbrick to... I guess move the dial. I guess as um, as as traversed, um, start going for that party of opposition. Mm. We've seen ACT do it sometimes. We saw Metiria and Russell Norman do it sometimes. Kind of start to look like the lead party of opposition. Is there is there potential for that? And with a Swarbrick well, she, Davidson co leadership, she's a master of the politics uh, politics of persuasion, isn't she? And I think the more that she is platformed. Um, which obviously you get a lot more of when you're in leadership, you know, you're a lot more visible, then 
that can only be good for the party. I think it's smart in terms of securing Auckland Central and showing the Greens' commitment to that seat because electorates like the idea of having a, a, a leader representing them. She seems the obvious choice. When you think about it too, you know, like she often is paired up against David Seymour when it comes to television interviews and stuff, and he's 11 years older than her. She's been doing it since her early 20s. Like, she's a tough cookie, and I think, um, to me, if it's about uh, encouraging younger voters, all of that sort of stuff, then you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find someone better than her. Right, that's us, I think. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Tiahe. Thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you to the Whanganui River. And uh, all dogs with many tails, we will return anon. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi. Tiahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.